Welcome to More Than a Crown 2.0. As I settle into post Miss USA life, post pandemic life in Dallas, I'm going to chat with you about faith, identity, relationships, and of course, how we're all more than our biggest failures and our greatest successes. You're going to hear from myself and Connor, as well as fellow boss babes. So subscribe, like, and download. Follow along on our Instagram at the More Than a Crown podcast, and let's tackle this next season together. Are you feeling lost in the confusing world of dating as a Christian? Well, dating expert, former self-proclaimed love addict, author, and podcaster Kate Warman is here for you to help you transform your dating life. Welcome, Kate, to More Than a Crown 2.0. Thanks, Sarah Rose. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm ecstatic. I've I know I've told you this already, but I followed you for years in your in your <laughs> account, Heart of Dating. And when Connor and I were in our dating season, followed it so closely for all of your advice for Christians. And so I'm so honored to have you on today. Oh my gosh, that's so cool to hear. Like I think I may have somewhere along the lines knew that, but just hearing that anybody, it helps anybody and then through their dating process and helps them in any capacity and now they're married makes me so excited. So that's so thrilling for me to hear. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. So you yourself, outside of your platform within Heart of Dating, have such a powerful story of rejection Mm -hmm. and redemption. And so can you just, let's just start off a little bit by sharing pieces of your story that you're comfortable with sharing so that our listeners know who's speaking into their lives today. Yeah, I would love to. And thanks for honoring me and giving me the opportunity to. So yeah, I get to work with lots of men and women, thousands of men and women in the area of Christian dating now, which is such a joy. Um, But the reason I do it is not because I've always done it right or because I'm the person that like dated once and then got married and I'm trying to preach at everybody on how to do it. The reason I'm doing this is because I've actually done it a lot of the wrong ways and actually have a lot of brokenness and trauma and had to reach some breaking points points in my life to seek transformation and to actually seek why am I why have I been dating this way or why have I been idolizing dating or men in my life so to take you back a little bit to where this started you know I think a lot of our tendencies actually start in childhood and for me that's the case I loved my parents but I had a bit of a tumultuous upbringing. There's a lot of fighting going on in my familial dynamic. And a lot of things I learned was that I would get love sometimes, but not all the time. It was very inconsistent. And I don't now blame my parents. I actually have a lot of compassion, understanding what was going on in their marriage life. But you know, at the time as a child, you don't really know what's going on. And so you start forming your own habits and your own coping mechanisms to deal with the chaos and the pain and to ultimately seek some form of love. So one of the things I developed was I became a performer. I was like, well, if I could be the best at everything, at sports, at school, at if I could look the best and dress really cute, then my family will notice me, that my parents would want to give me more love and would make me feel cherished. And so performance became my ultimate vice, but when that wasn't enough and it was working sometimes again, but not all the time, I turned outside my family dynamic to find validation. And that's when I started really early on turning to boys. So I never really lost my performer mentality. It still exists to this day a bit. Um, Thankfully, I have a better perspective of it. But the thing that also went on is that I started performing for guys, not just for my family, but for men. And I started seeking 
validation from guys to make me feel cherished, wanted, loved. So from the ages of 14 to 24, I started dating. And in that time frame, I was basically not single at all. Um, early in my teens, I actually had 16 boyfriends, which at one year, which is ridiculous. Um, but I just was, I was like flying through them. I was so afraid of rejection. I didn't want them to leave me. So I would leave them before they even had the chance to, and I would find someone else. Um, and so all of this led actually to a situation that was really hard and toxic in my life because you see what was happening in those 10 years that I was seeking validation through performance and through dating and ultimately men was actually, I was looking for love in all the wrong places as the saying goes. And I started forming some really bad tendencies. For example, I started really being mean to myself behind the scenes. Maybe not externally. I wouldn't tell people the thoughts I had about myself, but I was really, really critical. My performance mentality really, really made me so critical and ultimately self-shaming that I could never live up to the expectations I had of myself. So behind the scenes, I was super mean to myself. I was, I would put myself down. I never thought I was pretty enough. I had really struggled with body dysmorphia. Um, and when a guy didn't like me, I blamed myself, shamed myself entirely. In fact, I would go back to some guys who ended things with me and honestly beg them to come back, like beg them to be with me because they couldn't face what rejection, facing that rejection and that abandonment wound. All of this eventually led me into a very unfortunate, uh, abusive relationship at the end of this 10 years of dating. And I entered into that abusive relationship having no idea really about abuse, specifically emotional abuse, because that's how it started. And I really had no idea what emotional abuse was at the time or the tactics used in emotional abuse, such as gaslighting and love bombing and all of these things. And so at first, this guy seemed like everything I wanted. He was really charismatic. He went to church. He had great friends. I was like, this is awesome. And, you know, he took me on dates and he really liked me. And I was like, we have this instant connection and I'm a romantic at heart. So I fell into that. Um, but slowly over time, I realized that the relationship wasn't exactly what I thought it was. Um, and this, there's a lot of th details to that story. I'm happy to go into them if you want. But yeah. yeah, I ended up being cheated on consistently, being very caught off guard when I would bring up, that up to him and he would constantly discount me and basically deflect and say, what are you talking about? I'm not talking to this girl. Look at the guys you talk to. And that's a form of gaslighting, right? He was not taking ownership for what he was doing. And it was wrong. I had hard evidence sometimes of like, hey, you're doing this thing. You're texting this girl. You're meeting up with this girl. And this is not right. And no matter what, he would never make me feel validated. He would never make me feel like I had something rightfully to be upset about. And so for two and a half years, I got stuck in an abuse cycle. The emotional abuse turned to physical and unfortunately sexual abuse. And it was incredibly hard to get out of. Um, after two and a half years, I finally did leave that relationship, um, but it was a long journey to healing. And part of that healing journey, I actually had to really take a look at myself and say, man, Kate, you've been dating for 10 years nonstop, never single. Do you even know who you are without a man in your life? Do, do you even know who you are without performing? And 
I also, not without shame, but with you know curiosity, had to kind of look at the patterns in my life that led me into that abusive relationship. And one of those patterns, which I brought up before, was that I already was believing so many terrible things about myself. I already was telling myself so many lies. I was berating, mocking, belittling, judging myself over and over and over. So when this man, this abuser came into my life and started re-emphasizing those things in a way through his actions and through his words, somewhere deep down in me, I believed it. You know, logically I knew like this isn't right. These things that are happening are not right. But because deep down I already kind of believe some of these things, it was easier to accept the treatment, unfortunately. And so I had to face like, man, what does it look like to go on a healing journey to separate myself from men, reclaim my identity, rewire these lies that were so that at that moment were so deep in my neural pathways. And so that set me on a long healing journey, Sarah Rose. And so mm-hmm. we can talk uh, about anything from there that you yes, want, but that's yes, a bit absolutely. of my story. <laughs> well, uh, first and foremost, I'm so sorry that you had to go through what you have. And it's it's so crazy to look back, right? Mm-hmm. I know we don't have have joy without the hurt, but sometimes yeah. it's easy to sit back and ask God, like, "Ugh, why did I have to endure that, Lord, like for me to be where I am today? And I know it was through that relationship that Heart of Dating, the platform was yeah. born, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it was through- That's yeah, so beautiful. Through, yes. Mm-hmm. So you can find definitely the beauty in, in that hardship. But I guess what's a piece of advice that you have for someone that is in that? Like you said, you knew in the moment that you had these pieces of evidence, for example, and you knew that things that were going on were wrong. But mm-hmm. when you're in that abusive, manipulative relationship, it's really hard to get out. So I know you said you did so- after two and a half years, what was that kind of flip switch for you? And what advice do you have for someone who's stuck in something like that? Yeah, man, I have such a heart for women um, in abusive relationships because emotional abuse, I was physically abused, sexually abused. It was all, all of it was horrible and horrific. But I will say that emotional abuse is can sometimes be just as damaging. It's very jarring and it can bring you to just as much of a low as physical abuse can truly from my experience. And so, um, you know, after I finally pulled away, uh, it, I have to be very honest that the light switch didn't just go off overnight. Like my, the reality for me is that I left this guy about 30 times and came back to him about 30 times. And um, the, the stat actually for an abuse victim is that on average, an abuse victim will go back to their abuser at least on average seven times before they leave for good. And so my my stat was just more than that. You know, it was like four times that. It was about 30 times roughly. Um, if I wow. had to guess, I've never actually counted, but it was a lot of times that I would break up, leave him, and then he would do something. You know, the abuse cycle kind of goes a little bit like they they do some sort of act that's really hurtful to you, whether an emotional abuse act or a physical abuse act, something that's really painful. It's at some sort of attack. And then usually after they come in with all the right words, the things you want to hear. Um, Maybe an apology or 
maybe the words, I love you and I can't do life without you and you mean so much to me. And it's all falsities, right? Because actually they don't believe the things that they're saying or they're not willing to follow through with the things that they're saying. It's an act of control. It's a tactic to control you and bring you back in because they don't want to lose you. They're like, yes, I, you know, I did this thing. She's obviously really hurt. But I don't want to lose this person because they feed on codependency and control. That's how they function as an abuser. And so they don't want to lose you. They want to keep you isolated. They want to keep you in their grip. So they're going to say all the things you want to hear for a period of time. There may be a brief honeymoon stage after an abusive act. But eventually over time, there will it'll lead all back up to another abusive situation. But you get sucked back in because right after they're like, they're hitting you with all the love bombing and all the things you want to hear. And so for me, it was really, really hard. And that's why I went back 30 times on average for me. Um, and in that time, I also pushed away a lot of people. And so I want somebody listening to know that you are not alone. If you've gone back to your abuser, I want you to know that that is normal. Um, I don't want that for you. Nobody would want that for you. God does not want that for you. But I don't want you to feel shame about that because they it makes sense. Like they are really good at their tactics. And ultimately, through abuse, you start questioning who you are and you're really low in your ability to to trust yourself and your own self-confidence. And so for me, I got to a breaking point. Um Basically, there was one night of really, really, really bad physical abuse, and it was after I had broken up with him for about five months. It was the longest time I'd broken up with him. Um, there was police involved, a restraining order involved. There's a lot of things involved, and you know, my friends and my family were thankful I finally let go of this guy. But during that five month time frame, he kept messaging me and kept. A, coming in with the love bombing and things like that, but B, also telling me that I made everything up consistently. And I just kept hearing these messages over and over. I'm like, no, I didn't make it up. Like this really happened. But over time, mixed with the good messages of like, I love you and I want to be with you and we should be together, I started forgetting about what actually happened that led me to get a restraining order on him and all these things. And so that's what gaslighting does. It makes you start questioning your reality. It makes you question, can I really trust myself? Did that really happen? Or totally. maybe, I was, maybe I was being a little dramatic, you know? And so what ended up happening, Sarah Rose, after the five months is uh, five to six months, I ended up getting back together with him and threw the restraining order out the window because the restraining order doesn't matter if you don't actually follow the restraining order as the person that has it. You know, if you decide right. to not follow it, it's not, it's worthless. And so, um, so I didn't follow it. I kind of threw it away mentally. I got back together with him. And so for the first four to six months, it was like sunshine and rainbows in my mind. It really wasn't. But like, I was like, we're going to make this work. And, you know, he was on his best behavior for a few months. But during that time, the final time I got back together with him this time, um, my family like didn't want to speak to me. There was, I had just put a lot of people in a very horrible position because I had walked them through at that point, two years of abuse and horrible situations. And then I finally broke it off with him. And then I allowed him to keep talking to me and he kept talking to me and um, I eventually got back together with him. So I pushed a lot of people I loved away and that was the most isolated I'd ever been when I got back together with him that last time. And so after six months, eventually had a really horrible night of abuse and I won't go into all those details because it's just really hard. I don't want to, I don't want to trigger some of the people listening, but 
I do talk about it on my podcast if you want to hear the full details of that story. My, it's called My Abuse Story. Um, but then after that, Sarah Rose, you'd think like, man, after this horrible night of abuse that went on and on and on, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know if I would live. You'd think the next day I'd wake up and be like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm walking away. But sadly, I wasn't. And I didn't because I felt so much shame that I got back together with him again, despite what everyone had said. And so I actually stayed with him. I felt, well, I deserve this. You know, everyone said it was coming and that he would still be the same. And he -hmm. was. So I didn't tell a single person about what happened and that abusive night. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't that night. That was my breaking point. It was actually weeks later after that night where I found out once again, he was cheating on me. And it, for some reason, that was my breaking point. For some reason, I was like, I can't do this anymore. But even though I had a breaking point moment, I just want everyone to hear if you are going through abuse or if you know someone who's going through this, it's so important to know that even if they have a quote unquote breaking point moment, it doesn't mean that their mental state is is so that they will never desire to go back to that person. Because even if you have a breaking point moment and you leave that person, you have to understand it's like you are addicted to a drug. That is what the abuse cycle does to you. You become so addicted to the process. The highs and the lows are like hits of adrenaline and hits of oxytocin, all these things. And you become codependent on this person. You become codependent and dependent on the good times in the relationship and you really sink your teeth into those moments and you allow those to over and supersede the bad moments. And so even though I separated from him finally after two and a half years, to be very honest, it took at least a year for me to really get out of that. So I'm saying that because I want to normalize for somebody getting out of abuse. It is possible. You so deserve that. There are people that want to support you. There is help out there and you do not deserve what you're being treated as. Mm -hmm. And also make sure once you get away that you really, really, really get people around you to help you stay away, you know, to help you stay away in the process because there might be a night where you question it and you or he reaches reaches out or something happens and you, or something triggers you and you think about him and then you become, you just, you're in that trigger and you want to reach out or you want to see him again. You need to have a really strong community of people around you to help you stay out of that relationship. It's just so important. We can't do it on our own. And, um, and that's where it was so helpful for me. I switched churches at the time, which was really necessary for me given the situation. And I got immersed in an amazing community of deeply rich spirit-led people. And that was like the most profound transformation. Even my faith in my entire life was seeking that new community and being surrounded by this amazing community. Um, And I told them, I said, hey, I'm not strong enough to stay away from this person. I want to be. I want to work towards that. Would you help keep me accountable? Check in on me. Like if you don't hear from me for a day or two, like feel free to come over to my house. (laughs) Like uh, message me, just see what I'm up to because I really needed to set those kinds of uh, rules in place for myself, Sarah Rose, because you just really um, get warped in the cycle. And so I want to normalize that and also give people the understanding that you can be stronger and day by day, year by year, 
it does get easier. And you, the more time you are away from that person, the more healing you do, wholeness can happen. Like now today, I look back and I have so much compassion for that version of Kate and that version, that time in my life. And yet, man, I know that I would never end up in that kind of a situation again because I am strong, so strong. I learned from that. I was able to get myself out of it, seek help, and and climb my way through this process mixed with obviously deep, amazing relationship with God. So gosh, I'm sorry. I went on and on and on there, but I have so much to say about this topic. No, it's, it's so good and it's so necessary. And for the women that are listening that are thinking like, yeah, I know I'm I'm living with this person maybe or right. I've it's been 3 years or all of my friends are his friends or whatever your case may be. I think mm-hmm. what's just so important is yes, you might be alone because you've lost friends because of this unhealthy relationship and even family like you said Kate, mm-hmm. but making sure that you get out of it and truly being bold enough to ask for help. Like you said, you got plugged into a new church. You said please do come check on me if you don't yes. hear from me, these things. So being bold and asking for help. And if you don't know where to do that, getting plugged into a church community is just so necessary. And so mm. I love everything you said. Don't apologize for going on and on. I appreciate it. This is all <laughs> good so things. so much to say about abuse. And I just have such a heart for it. Yeah. Of course. Mm. And in your book called Thank You for Rejecting Me, you cover how to face rejection. So Obviously, we can't dive into all of your secrets, but do you think (laughs) that facing rejection and grieving a heartbreak is different coming out of an abusive relationship versus, say, just a healthy relationship that didn't work? Wow, that's a great question. Man, I love that question, girl. Nobody's asked me that specifically before. But the thing that I found with rejection is that we all fear rejection in some capacity. Um, And whether or not you've been through an abusive situation, there might be something in you that fears abandonment for some reason. Maybe it ties back to childhood or a friendship, or maybe you were bullied or your parents are divorced or something. And so um, I think at the end of the day, most of us fear rejection in some capacity. Some of us have reconciled our relationships with rejection and aren't as afraid of it as we maybe used to be. But almost anybody I have met in my life Um, is afraid of it in some capacity. And I think that um, for me, what happened in the face of rejection after abuse was specifically, I was afraid of rejection as it came to men and dating. You know, I was like, I don't want to ever go through this again, which is why it was so important for me to separate myself from men for multiple years to really build up my strength to make sure I wasn't putting my identity in that man because I realized what I had done personally and what we often do even just with rejection in general is we give a lot of power to the other person. When we are really, really, really so deeply wounded, like when we're taken down by rejection, oftentimes it's because we've given that person a lot of power over our identity and over how much we're loved. And we have to learn and figure out a way to take back that power and realize the ways that we do, we are powerful people because God created us that way, you know? And so when we can reconcile with the areas we're giving away power, maybe it's not for you, it's not 
with men, maybe it's to your job or to social media, what people say on about you on social media, or maybe it's in friends, community, or whatever it is, whatever, however you're giving your power away, it's really important to recognize how am I giving my power away? Or what is my big another way to actually find that out would be to say, what is my biggest rejection fear? Like, what is that? What's the biggest, where am I most afraid of this friend abandoning me? Am I most afraid of a guy abandoning me? Is Am I most afraid of my job disappearing tomorrow because I get fired? What is your biggest rejection fear? And then that's an area of opportunity to say, oh, maybe I'm giving too much power to that thing, to that person, to that situation. And how can I learn to take back that power? And how can I learn to find my worth and value without that thing. And so what I had to do for myself after abuse is I realized, man, I had given all my all of my power away, you know, and I had to reclaim that I was a powerful person and I had to reclaim that I was worthy and valuable and loved whether or not I had a man in my life. So in doing that journey for myself, um, I really believe, you know, what I wrote about so much and thank you for rejecting me was that, you know, rejection will still happen. When I went back out to redate and consider dating again, there's always a possibility that I'm going to get rejected again. And in fact, I did. (laughs) That's the second half of my story is I got rejected a ton in my recent years of dating. I'm still not married right now. And so what you would would call healthy relationships, right? Exactly. 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 But what I realized and I've come to learn is that rejection is going to hurt to some capacity, but we can develop a muscle and a strength and a process and a relationship with rejection where when it happens, we it can hit us and prick us, but it doesn't take us down entirely. Why? Because we've reconciled with those deep fears of abandonment or those deep fears of whatever it may be that I just talked about before. And we've realized what our worth and value is without that thing. So when I go into dating now, and I put myself out in a relationship now, I have reconciled my relationship with men and I know my tendencies and I also like know my worth and value without that person in my life. And frankly, I love my single life. I love, I feel so purpose and on mission for God. So when I put myself out in dating, I'm like, okay, like this, this is an awesome opportunity to practice confidence, but this is not an opportunity for me to cling my might so much on this person liking me because I can't make like me. Like there's not every person on the planet won't like me, you know, it's just not possible. And in fact, the reason why they may not like me or may may not want to date me sometimes has nothing to do with the fact that like, I did something bad or I'm not a great person to date. It just could be, it's not the right time. We're just not a good fit. They have other things going on in their life. They're not the right person for me, whatever it is, right? And so I can depersonalize that rejection to say, hey, I know what I bring to a relationship. And as long as I'm being honoring of that person and doing my very best to be honoring and kind and loving to that person, if they reject me, it doesn't have to say anything about my worth and value. It doesn't have to mean that I am never going to find love. It doesn't have to mean that I'm not cherished and lovable. And so this is where I think it's so important 
that we go in that journey of figuring out our relationship with rejection, what the biggest lies are in rejection that we face or what the biggest kind of rejection is that we're afraid of, and then seek to understand like, why am I giving so much power to that thing? And how can I take some of that power back and reclaim that worth and value for myself so that I can put myself out there again with whatever that thing is and know rejection is possible. It may happen, but I'm still strong and still worthy and still loved, even if it doesn't go according to plan. And so it's it's easier said than done in ways it's a practice, you know, but that's why I wrote my book. And there's obviously every chapter in the book is split up into different kinds of rejections that you may go through, not just breakups, not just abuse, but all different kinds of rejections from friendships to work, to um, feeling like you don't belong, to self-rejections. And so I think there's just so many tools we can we can grasp and it can help us to lead a more like strong, powerful life. <laughs> yes, I love that. And it's all of those types of rejection are so real. And I think I have a really interesting mindset on it because I grew up competing in pageantry, right? And you certainly don't win every right. time. Yes. And when you compete, say at the USA level with 50 other women, only one of you is going to win. And so I was used to not getting that whatever trophy every time or that person every time. But there's a rejection because there's, you're not going to win every single thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a healthy kind of way to practice that. But I know it can, it can definitely sting even after like you mentioned, friendship breakups, those are so real. I'm really passionate about that as well. But even after just going on like, let's say two dates with someone, right? We've all had this experience or we have girlfriends who have had this experience where they go on like two dates and they're like, I really do 100% truly believe this is the one. And then (laughs) um, it doesn't work out or that other person isn't equally, equally interested. What is your tangible advice? Like, what should that person go and do right now if that is them? Yes, I love this. I think we need to change our mindset towards dating. And, you know, bless you if you're listening and that's you because you love love and you desire love. And that was me. Like, literally, I'm a romantic at heart. And, like, I love watching Disney movies and being like, yes, I love it. You know, but also I've had to realize that's not always how it goes. (laughs) And so, um, and so I love Disney movies. I love the romance. I'm all for that. But also, we have to come back to realize that it's not always going to go that way. And sometimes in the church, if you're listening and you're a Christian, then sometimes you realize that the church often emphasizes marriage as the end-all be-all. And um, so because of that, and we don't often really lift up singleness for the gift that it is, for the amazing season that it is, um, to discover so much about ourselves and to do so much for God, honestly. Um, We are free of distraction and singleness. You know, we have so much that we can do, time and space and energy and freedom to be able to do so much for other people and for the Lord. And so what a gift that is. Um, And the church just doesn't talk about that or emphasize that enough. And so a lot of messaging we've gotten is that, marriage is the end all be all. And if I am 30 and a woman and still single, there is something wrong with me. I am diseased and I must find a husband ASAP. Like that's literally some of the messaging we've got. So then you get somebody who's 30. I'm in my thirties unmarried and you're like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And, and so what ends up happening is you end up putting 
a lot of pressure on a first date. Like you end up, you want that so much that in a way you begin to idolize that thing. And so when you find a guy that is, you know, has decent qualities and you're excited to go on a date with him, what you end up doing is you end up sizing him up for marriage on date one. And you're like, okay, what's his 401k? Does he have a good enough career? Could he be the father of my children? What's his last name? Does it sound good with my first name? Like you start going through all these things and then, you know, you have a decent date. Then you tell all your girlfriends. Now they're all bought into the process. Then you go on the second date. It goes well again. And you're like, we're getting married, right? 100%. Right. And like, meanwhile, he's just like, feeling it out. Like most guys actually don't do it like that. <laughs> like it's so funny. Um, so we're ladies, we got to get keep ourselves in check here. And what I like to encourage people to do is we need to take the pressure off of dating um, because I actually think it's quite unhealthy to think of if this guy is going to be your future husband on date one. Not everybody knows that. Um, not God doesn't always reveal that to people on date one. The majority of people, it's a process. And yes, there's a needle in the haystack where you're going to hear like, we met and we knew. And I knew instantly this person was my person and then they ended up together. But what isn't often talked about is a lot of people go on a first date and they think this is my person. I know I hear it from God and then it doesn't work out. <laughs> You know, and so what often we have to do, what we really have to do is we just need to take a deep breath and basically take the pressure off of dating. And the way we need to start seeing dating instead is we need to just see it as an awesome opportunity to get to know another amazing man of God, you know? Like get curious about this person and take the pressure off in the very, very first few dates, beginning stages of thinking like, oh, does this person have every single thing I'm looking for in a man? Because on the flip side of putting a lot of pressure on it, what you also might do is you might eliminate actually a really amazing person because you're trying to hyperanalyze them so much so in the first few dates. <laughs> and like, right. you're never going to know everything about someone in the first few dates. <laughs> and so You're never going to know everything about someone Ever. Ever. You're yeah. constantly learning. Yeah. Yes. But we take one little thing. We're like, oh, he made a weird look at the waiter. Therefore, he's mean to all waiters and I can't date him. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like we make all these assumptions and yes, be wise and discerning and all of those things. But ultimately we just have a lot of pressure in dating and we either overcommit to people too fast, or we don't even consider people that may be actually amazing because we have way too high of standards and too much pressure. So everyone oh, yeah. needs to take a deep old breath and start just seeing dating as an opportunity to meet someone else. Amazing to also discover more about yourself, to also practice things that you don't normally have to practice in just your friendships. Like, hmm, let's say telling them about your love language or telling them about your needs. Like it can feel really vulnerable to do that to a man or to somebody of the opposite gender. And so what an awesome opportunity to say, man, I feel really uncomfortable doing this, or I feel really uncomfortable in my body around a man. What is this telling me right now? What can I learn from this? Do I have some body insecurity around men that I need to work through? Dating is an awesome opportunity to just learn more, you know? And again, I say all of that with the caveat of like, you're not here to waste someone's time. We're not just here to like date everyone under the sun and never have intentionality. But I do think that that's 
that that the problem more so with dating is that we just put way too much flip and pressure on it and we end up not enjoying the process and we end up getting so much more hurt <laughs> because True. we're just taking things to the next level in our heads when we shouldn't yet. So right. take a breath and try to reframe your process and how you see dating as who I'm going to say the word and everyone has a weird perspective of this but just try to see it a little more casual than you do. Do you know? Like a little bit yeah. more like I'm going on a coffee date with this person. It may not mean anything. I may like they may not be my person, but let me just get curious about them. Yeah. So what if it doesn't work out? You know, like if we can do that, man, it could, you could actually sit there and enjoy the person instead of sizing so them true. up for marriage. Yeah. You know, you mentioned standards <laughs> and I think yes. that needs its whole own episode. Like we do <laughs> yeah. not even have time to dive into that, but standards and having, you know, the checklist is a whole nother beast to talk about. But when when it comes to the church and especially in the South, I think people are right in college, out of college, so shoved down your throats of date to marry. Don't just right. date date to marry. Are you dating for marriage? Blah, blah, Ring blah. by spring. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so it's difficult to find like where does that transition or when does mm -hmm. that transition happen when you're dating to gain confidence in yourself and genuinely be curious about someone? When does that shift to, okay, now dating for marriage? Is that when you are 10 mm -hmm. dates in and they have that intentionality conversation and 10 sounded dramatic when you're, you know, yeah, yeah. you have that conversation and you're officially in a relationship? Is that when you date to marry? That's so difficult. Yeah. So I love this because I think I like to break dating um, from singleness to marriage into five stages. And I think often we only see it as four stages. Often we single, we see it as single, dating, engaged, married. There's actually a great book by Ben Stewart, Single, Dating, Engaged, Married. And I love that book. So definitely go check it out. But I have in recent years wanted to propose a fifth stage to this process. Because if you just go from single, dating, engaged, married there's a lot in that dating phase that, okay, that is not clarified, right? Because you go from beginning stages of dating to maybe more exclusively dating to then talking about marriage with that engagement with that person. And those are different. That's a different layer of relationship, you know, like those are, oh, there's 100%. a lot in that dating phase. So what I like to actually say, I add in a fifth stage. So I like to call it singleness. Okay. Single dating relationship engaged, married. Oh, and, I like that. Yeah. And the reason why is that you're dating. I think that you should be dating someone in the first you know, few dates or however long that is for you to figure out, do I want to be in a serious relationship with this person? You know, like, do I want to actually be in a relationship with them? So I am dating them for a little bit of time. And that's obviously different for every person. I have thoughts about that as well, but I'm dating them to see, do I genuinely know enough information to want to be committed solely to them to be moving towards the possibility of engagement? You know, and, and oftentimes, you know, that's really blurry. If we just have the dating phase, well, where is the line between I'm going on date one, day two, day three, and I'm in a relationship, you know? So we have, that's why I think dating is an awesome opportunity to find out a good amount of information to then say, yeah, I want to be in a relationship with this person and start pursuing engagement with that person, you know? And so that's, that's really where I like to add in the relationship phase. You're dating for those first few dates, that first stage of dating to see, 
do I know enough to say, yeah, this is a person I really want to commit to and move and spend more time and investment into working towards if we could make a marriage happen? Uh, and so that's where I would say that that's where the balance is. You date for a little bit of time. You know, some people it's, I don't recommend date one, go on one date or two date and then be in a relationship. Like that's not my recommendation. Cause I think you need a little bit more information. <laughs> um, but I would recommend like, you know, a month, two months, whatever feels comfortable for you and whatever also the other person is okay with um, to really see like, oh, do I know enough information before I'm in a committed relationship with this person? Um, And so that's what I usually do. I actually practiced this at the beginning of the year in a very, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really put this all to the test. And so I fully practice this at the beginning of the year. I actually said, I'm going to be single or I'm going to be only dating for three months before I make a commitment to anybody. And so that's what I did. And girl, it was awesome. Like I loved it. I had the best time ever. Um, just because I know my problem is not commitment. My problem is I commit too early or I, I really desire that relationship. So I'm like, let's go all in. My problem is not, (laughs) is not waiting forever to make that happen. And so I was like, what does it look like for me to have a little more discernment and have a little more time and space? And it was the best for me um, to just wait three months before I said, yes, I want to be in a committed relationship. Oh, I love that. And looking back at your old self, I know you mentioned, I think, 16 relationships in one year. Yeah. That is, the contrast is just so beautiful. Exactly. And the progression, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about the stages of the relationship was literally The Bachelor, the show oh The my Bachelor. Gosh, yes. And The Bachelorette, <laughs> because our society, especially our generation and younger generations, Yes, you mentioned Disney movies, but we're watching this these reality TV True. shows yep. that absolutely <laughs> completely skip that entire relationship phase. You're expected mm-hmm. to join this show, start dating someone, or in Bachelor in Paradise, multiple people, and at the end of the show, which is really only like three weeks film time, end up engaged. And so they really do skip that entire (laughs) chunk of the relationship, not to mention the dating phase is nowhere near a few months. Yeah, (laughs) I know, girl. It's nuts. It's so interesting that that's what we're being fed and that's what we're seeing on TV. And then to try to discern and differentiate (laughs) and shut that off because that's not reality reality. (laughs) Um, It's just so crazy. But it makes sense. It's hilarious because we see things like The Bachelor where you're like engaged in three weeks and then, which is so weird and I highly do not recommend ever like for anybody (laughs) in real everyday life, like nobody, here's a thing on that, Sarah Rose. It's like, I rarely hear people complain that they just spent a little more time in discerning and waiting, you know? But what I often hear people do is like, I rush that decision. I rush into that relationship. I should have learned a bit more about that person. But you rarely hear like, oh, you know what? We took a little bit of more time to get to that next phase. And I really regret just taking that extra time. You know, like rarely do you hear that, but you hear it the opposite way. And so, and of course you really want that commitment. So sometimes we do rush that, but converse to the bachelor, which is like the three week engagement. Then you have the other side, which is like, 
all the other reality TV and other things we see in culture, which is like hookup culture, where it's like you never get into a relationship and it's just only going one right after the other. So we have Mm. these two paradigms and we're like, where do we land? Like we either jump from everybody to one person to the next. And when it gets a little bit hard, we just, okay, bye on to the next person. Or we like get engaged in three weeks. Like where's the balance? (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's, it's crazy because it's, you have to find role models and mentors, whether that be Mm -hmm. in your church or in your family. Exactly. So crazy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just so grateful for you. And I love the wisdom that you have spouted out today. And I'm excited for my listeners to go check out your podcast and get your book. But before we go, my podcast is called More Than a Crown because at the Mm -hmm. end of my year as Miss USA, I had to take a seat and say, wow, I'm only 24 years old. This year was a dream year that I never even expected to become a reality, but Mm. it was just one title and one label that is only for 365 days. It won't carry on past this, and I'm more than this amazing dream year. I'm more than the mistakes that I made. I'm more than that crown. I'm more than what the world knows me for headlines or that title. Yes, and so that can change always, right? Sometimes – Different things are heavy on our hearts, or we recently passed an awesome exam that we've been searching or trying for forever, and you feel like that's your main label and that's your goal. But right now, when you, Kate, put your head down on the pillow at night, what are you reminding yourself that you are more than? Oh my gosh, this is great. Well, I think the most humbling thing for me in my life is to come face to face with the fact that I help people in the area of dating all the time and I love it. It's my deepest passion, but that I am still a woman with that has that needs Jesus that in dating as well. Like, Mm. you know, and so even though I get to share and, and pass all this wisdom to people and it's so fun, I love it, you know when I get into dating, it doesn't mean that I'm like perfect. You know, it doesn't mean that I do every single thing right, you know, just because I've studied it a lot. Like it is really humbling when I date and something hard comes up or I do things the wrong way because I'm reminded like I'm more than just a dating coach. I am a person, a woman that is, that's still very much in the need, in that very much needs Jesus, very much needs grace and mercy because I'm still, there's still so much for me to learn. And so I, I think that's where I'm the most humbled is being a dating coach, getting to do this, impart all this wisdom. And I do have a lot to share, but then still come like humbly coming even in my own relationships that I'm having or to people publicly being like, Hey, I'm not, I do. I love talking about this, but I'm not perfect at this and giving myself personally grace that Kate, you are more than a dating coach. You know, a lot of information. God has gifted you with this ministry and you are, you are, you are more than that. And you are also, you're still a girl that very much needs Jesus. And I think that allows me to come out what I do and that my life with relieving myself of pressure that I have to be perfect, but also just realizing like, Hey, just like every person I get to help, I am just like them. You know, I'm no better necessarily than anybody else. Um, and we are really in this together. So that's what I love to remind myself of. And if I'm not 
feeling it, when I start dating, it certainly will come up and be reminded <laughs> because those are the moments for me where I'm faced with, oh yeah, girl, you still got things coming up and wow, what's happening there, girlfriend? Like, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, and Uh-oh. so that would be what it is for me. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's so good, right? Like you can have this huge ministry and you can have people like myself listening, watching, following on social. But at the end of the day, we're all just imperfect people. And that's why I love asking that question. Like what title has the world given you or has the Lord given you even that can sometimes weigh you down and make you feel like you have to be perfect, but none of us Mm -hmm. are only like, well, I'm so grateful for this sweet time together. Please tell our listeners where they can continue to follow you and get your book. I know I'm excited to read it as well. Yeah, girl. Um, You can come connect with me on Instagram, Heart of Dating or Kateness, K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S. Our website, Heart of Dating, has so much. We have free resources. We have a dating program called Drop the Hanky if you're single and you want to get more equipped in your dating life. And if you're a single woman and you want to meet men, like we actually have single men on there that submit videos and we come out with new guys every month. So check it out. It's an awesome way to date today. Um, And I'm so proud of that program. And then we have you know, other information on there about our events. We have a community that you can join if you're a single person. You're like, man, everyone got married this year. Uh, where where are my single folks at? Or if you need new community, if you're somebody in a bad relationship or you don't have great influences around you, join our Heart of Dating community. It's really a family. Like I love our Heart of Dating people. You can come on Facebook. We have a giant uh, Facebook group and they do life together, karaoke nights, Bible studies, meetups, all the things. And I love our people. They're so, they'll welcome you and you'll have an instant community of single friends. And then my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me. You can find it anywhere books are sold. You can Amazon Prime it to your house. Um, I think it's a great gift also for friends because if you know someone who's like, struggling through this, what a great gift to give them or do it together with them because every chapter there are questions and prompts and you can do it week by week. There's 12 chapters. So I love suggesting that for people too, as like gift it to your friend and say, Hey, let's do this together as a little study. Um, that's so, fun. Yeah, love to get connected. <laughs> yes. Also, I love your dropping the hanky title of your. That's <laughs> Thanks, so girl. so so cute and fun. I love it, and I truly admire all that you're doing, and I'm grateful to have had you on. So, thank you so much for your time, and you guys can check us out next week on More Than a Crown 2.0. But in the meantime, head on over and listen to some episodes of the Heart of Dating podcast. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah Rose. <laughs>